you're probably becoming, coming to grips with this reality that people of God sometimes do what they want to do. <laughs> Book of Judges is literally a story of wrecked lives. But that conjunction changes everything. God is not willing to let his people remain there. So he gives them an out. And so we've already seen over the last couple of weeks that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But God rose up, raised up a deliverer to deliver them from the oppression that they were in. Yet today's account is the only account that there's a different spin on it. It's the only account in Judges as we go through this series where the ending is different. In fact, it could wreck your lives after reading this in a good way. It could challenge you to say, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person who almost gets it right, who who's almost all in, but there's like this one area that keeps me from being all in for Jesus. And that one area can wreck me. All of us have an opportunity to make a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. However, if we leave just one area of our lives unchecked, one area of our hearts unchecked, one area that gets hidden in darkness and we don't bring it to light, that one area, even if 99% of your life's in check, that 1% can wreck everything. So today's account is really a story in that. In fact, Luke 10, 27 says it this way. Don't turn there. It says this. We're reminded through Luke, the writer of the gospel, the doctor, he said this, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. All, all, all. Not most, not almost, but all. We are called to walk through this life. And if it's not all, then partial obedience isn't obedience. Yet somehow on this journey that we're on, we think we're okay if we're almost there. But if we leave one area uncovered or not protect it, that one area can come back to haunt you. Let, let me explain. When I was uh, a lot younger, I had a friend that was in college at Wingate College in North Carolina. And during spring breaks during that time, I would travel down to North Carolina from Maryland and meet him. And then we would drive south to Florida for spring break. Now, you could tell a typical northerner on the beaches of Florida at spring break. We're white. We go there and we, we just stick out. And you can tell locals that are there, they're tanned or they, they wear hats. And, and, uh, and when it's 40 degrees and you're in Florida or 50, you know, we're out there with no coats because it feels warm and they're in burlap sacks. It's just, it's cold. But on this trip, there were about five or six of us that was, got this hotel, this house down in Florida to go on spring break. So we took the necessary tools that you take for vacation in Florida. If you take suntan lotion or sunscreen. Everyone has their number. Maybe some are 8, 10. Maybe you're like an 800. I don't know that. You go out and it just, you just turn red, but just standing by the window. And there it's just... Well, there was one of these guys that was on the trip. It didn't matter um, if he was near the sun or about in the sun. He burnt and he knew it. So he was a white northerner. But he wanted to go to the beach, as all of us did. And so he brought necessary protection for that area of his life that needed protected. So our first day there, Jim was his name. He walked out, and he put on sunscreen. It was probably 800. I mean, it just whatever. It was, and so he put it on. So he put it on himself. And, you know, there's areas. And he didn't, like a typical dude, he wasn't going to ask other dudes to put the stuff on him. So he covered his body with sunscreen, as any dude would do. 
And so we, we, you know, we played volleyball on the beach. We body surfed in the waves. We hung out. We threw footballs and baseballs. And, and so we go back to our hotel in the evening, and you know, we get dressed to go out to eat that night. And it was dark, so it, you couldn't really tell how much sun we got because we were in darkness. It was just difficult to tell how much sun we got. So we slept that night, and we knew we got some sun because, you know, if you spent all, all winter up north going to the beach. That next morning when we woke up, it was, the sun was bright. It was coming into our room. And Jim came walking out to this kitchenette that we had. And he didn't have a shirt on, so he was fully exposed to light. He walked into the, the kitchen, and we, were, and we just started laughing. He's like, what's so funny? He had taken this 800 sunscreen and put it on like this. And he had put it on the back of him like that. And so he was literally, we called him Zebra Man all week. The areas that weren't covered with sunscreen, the areas that weren't protected, the unprotected areas were red. Now, when you're a dude and you're going to spring break, you want to look cool on the beach. So we go to the beach and, you know, and he's, he's got a, T-shirt on. I mean, and, and, and unless you exposed him to the light, you couldn't tell that he was Zebra Man. But we reminded him regularly, Zebra Man. Now, an interesting thing happened over the next couple of days. He had been in the sun so long that first day that those areas that were unprotected blistered. And so, literally, he had tan blisters. And it was amazing to watch this pain and agony that he got great comfort from us. You know, we just saw, we, oh, we're so sorry for you, Jimmy. Just, just so sorry for you. But something unique about that. He almost covered up. He almost protected. But as soon as he was exposed to light, those areas that you didn't see in the dark, those areas that were left kind of hidden that you didn't know were bad, as soon as it came to light, whoo, there it was. It's kind of like us in our walks. We have these areas in our lives that we have hidden. They're just, they're hidden. And, and when they're in darkness, you don't notice them. It's like this sin area, this portal. We can have 99% that, that when it's exposed, okay. But when that one area gets exposed to light, to the light of the gospel, to the light of the Savior, when it's exposed to truth, it becomes evident that it's not all. It's just most of us is committed to God. So, throughout this message today, as I was thinking about this message this week, we are either all in for Jesus. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. Anything else is not obedience. Yet, we live like this. We have most of our areas checked by God. We have most of them covered. We have most areas. And we have actually come to conclusion that that's okay. It's okay if we have all or most covered. And so we live like this. This is how we live. Almost. Instead of being all or most, which we're supposed to live all, we think we'll live this way. Almost. Almost all in God. Almost all of my heart. Almost all checked. Almost all exposed to light and truth. And so we're going to find a person today who gets raised up to deliver the Israelites who almost 
did it right. Yet, if we almost do it right, it's going to end in destruction. Yet, it's either all or you live most. And if you live most, it's not obedience. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. Get the timer started up there for me, please, up above. Turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 10. Turn to Judges chapter 10. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. Judges chapter 10. And we're going to read a story today that I think is one of the saddest stories in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 10. We're going to read verses 6 through 18. Genesis, Exodus, Viticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Turn to Judges chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 6 to 18. Stand with me, and we'll read it together. Let's read this out loud. Judges 10, verses 6 through 18. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asterisks and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan and Gilead the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah. Benjamin in the house of Ephraim and Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Manites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, Did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry to the gods that you've chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could not bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped in Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whomever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. We have a seat. This account today is the saddest account, I think, in the book of Judges. In fact, to be quite frank with you, when I got to the end of this study again this week, I sat in my office and I just cried. I was like, God, may I never be this person. God, may we never as Grace Community Church become this person. May, may my life not end this way. And so I found myself just grieving over this text and praying, God, over Grace Community. God, may we not be like Jephthah. May we not end our lives this way. When we're in trouble, we are quick to cry out for rescue. Because we know that God's full of grace and mercy. Problem is this. If you begin to presume that, that God presumptuously is going, you presumptuously think that God should do that for you, and it's like, well, I'm going to sin. I know God's going to come through. You're living a lifestyle that's not totally obedient. Seriously, at what point during this account in Judges do you think God finally said, enough is enough? You keep the cycle, you follow hard, you run away, you serve other gods, you cry out, I raise up a deliverer, you run away, 
And not that big thing. Are we any different than that? Here's what I know is good news when I think of this account. Lamentations 3, verses, chapter 3, and verse 22 to 23 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Anybody grateful for that, by the way? Because of his compassions, because of his great love, his compassions never fail for us. But again and again, it hit me this week, when I was reading this passage, am I or are you any different than the book of Judges? We read and think, man, there's people. I can't believe they ran away from God. I can't believe they served other, other small Gs. I can't believe that they didn't learn their lesson. Yet, we have a written account. And you'll hear it today, and you can leave today and decide, I am all in for Jesus, or am I just almost in? And if you're just almost in, then you're living a life of disobedience. It's either all or nothing for Jesus. To be quite frank, God's initial response to them is, I, I found myself saying, well, it's about time, God. Look at, look at verse 11 of chapter 10. They do evil, and in verse 11 it says this, the Lord replied, when the, all these other ites, when they oppressed you and you cried to me for help, but I did not save you from your hands, but you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Then he says this in verse 14. Imagine this response hearing it, because they continually cry out and he would save them. Then he says, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. There's a part of me that said, thanks, God. (laughs) It's about time. Let them have a little bit of their own medicine. I mean, they keep crying out and They keep running away, and they expect you to come. So God steps in and says, hey, go ask your little God for help. Go ask that that, that wooden statue that you go bow down to every day and say, hey, help me. See if it's alive and can do anything for you. God was finally at a point in this narrative where he was fed up with them. And he actually says, go pray to your other gods and see if they can save you. Yet what we know to be true of God, he's a God of wrath, but he's a God of mercy, and he's a God of grace, and he's a God of love. Pause and think about this for a second. He gave them over to their sinful ways. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Keep your finger here. Let me show you. He also does this, and he shows this in the New Testament. Turn to Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. Just hold your finger here in Judges. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. You'll see where God does this again in, the, in the, the New Testament. He just gives them over. Okay, go serve your sin. Go serve your little G. Go serve Satan. Go serve disobedience. And he says this in Romans 1 in verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a what? Lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And then he says this. Because of that, or this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for other men, one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Then in verse 32, Paul says this, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, 
they not only continued to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's a picture of God's passive wrath. Okay, if that's what you want to do, then go live it up. But the end of it is death and destruction. The Old Testament is right there. In this account, they're doing evil, and God says, okay, I'm not going to rescue you. I'm not going to save you. Just go worship your little gods and see what they can do for you. I'll never forget when I was in Cambodia uh, one time 10 or 12 years ago, and we traveled out into the village, and they had Buddhas everywhere. I mean, they had these gods that they worshiped, but they had this Buddha that was 30 to 40 feet long. And it was laying on its back out in the middle of the village. I mean, it took hours to make this thing. And daily, Buddhists would come and make a pilgrimage to this. It was a sleeping Buddha laying on its back out in the middle of the village. And I remember standing there thinking, that's just nonsense. Why would you worship a sleeping Buddha? Buddha, why would you go there and do that? And I remember there was a, a, a Cambodian national Christian that was with me. And um, he was standing there, and, and, and I say, he said, the crazy thing about this to Jim, and he spoke through a translation, he said, they worship a God that sleeps, yet they refuse to worship a God that lives. <laughs> but are we any different when we choose to be all, most, all in? Jephthah is about to unfold a plan to rescue these people and almost give it all. Almost. But God's people knew that he would eventually come through. And they quickly come to grips with the reality that God is jealous of our love. So, look what happens to them. Look at verse 15 to his response. Verse 15 says this, But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think, what? Best. But please us now. What? Rescue us now. How many of you have ever prayed those kind of prayers? They're like, God, I promise. God, I promise. If you take care of this debt, God, I promise, God, if you take care of this mess in my life, God, I promise, God, if you fix the mess that I've made, I promise I'll get on the next plane to Africa and eat tarantulas and win people to Jesus. How many promises have you made along the way? God, I promise if you do this for me. God, I promise if you give me this job that I'll serve you, God, with all of my heart. Or is it almost all of your heart? How many of you have made those bedside conversions and, and commitments and promises? God, if you fix my marriage, God, I promise to do this. God, if you give me that job. God, if you, if you do this for me and keep me from going to jail, I'll serve you the rest of my life. These Israelites are right there. God, please rescue us. And if you do this, God, we, look what it says in verse 15. It says, if you do this, God, do with us whatever you think best. In other words, we'll do anything. They brokered a deal with their God. We do it all the time and think nothing of it. We try to manipulate and control God because we know he's capable and say, God, do this because you're good at it and we'll do this. But look what happens in verse 16. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. 
his mercy and love and forgiveness surfaces again. They go back and throw away their wooden idols and these bales that they had and these astro totem poles and just throw them away and say, God, we're sorry, God. And it says that he could bear their misery no longer because he's a God of compassions and they're new every day and he restored them. And he's going to come through for them. So hope begins to flourish. Now look what happens after that though. After they did all this, they repented. Verse 17 says, when the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled at Camp Mitzvah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be head over all those living in Gilead. Here's where the fatal flaw steps in. It's the only place in the book of Judges. Only place, only place. Every other time, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God sent them. God gave them a deliverer. Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God gave. God sent. God raised up. This case, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And now they go find a deliverer. They did what was right in their eyes. They didn't consult God. And so for the first time, you're going to see where because of that fatal flaw of not counseling God and going to God, they go and pick the man that they think should lead them. You're going to see a fatal flaw and you're going to see a destructive path that eventually comes as a result of that. Partial obedience leads us to do what is right in our own eyes. Let me just ask a question. What are you doing right now in your life that you haven't consulted God about? And you're kind of just driving out through that period of your life, and you took this job, and you're dating this person because it just seemed right. And, and you're, you're taking this path. It just, it just feels right, man. It just feels right. How many paths and journeys are you taking without pausing before you take that step and say, God, what is it that you want? The Israelites neglected consulting God and chose a man on their own. And look what happens. Look at chapter 11 and verse 1. Jephthah, the Gileite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a what? Prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance from our family. So he's a loner. He's, he's an orphan. He's a child of a prostitute. They said, because you're the son of another woman, they drove him away. So Jephthah fled his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered. Now, it was interesting to look at the translation here. The New Living Translation said this. Instead of a group of adventurers, they said a band of worthless rebels following him. One group said Jephthah and Riffraff followed him. The Jim Brown paraphrase would be this, Jephthah and a bunch of thugs. So Jephthah was this mighty warrior. He was known for being brute force. He was known for being a, a fighter. Israelites go after a thug to lead them. Read on with me. Verse 4, sometime later when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. They didn't consult God. They picked the leader. Verse 7, Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and like drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble?
The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. For the first time in Judges, the people choose a leader, a sketchy leader at best. You would think that they would pick a man who was following hard after God, but they didn't. They did what was right in their own eyes. Partial obedience is not obedience. Basically, they became managers of their sin. They became managers of their choices instead of God giving all their choice, having all their choices. So he questions them. I want to stop right here, and, and, and if I could interject. It's like when I read this account, because I, 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 I fast forward, I want to stop and say, stop! This is going to go bad quickly. Stop! Don't do it what you s- seems right in your own. Stop! Don't marry that person just because it seems right. Stop! Don't leave that job just because it seems right. Stop! Don't make that decision because it seems right. Consult God. Consult God. Ask the Holy Spirit. But it's too late in this case. The Israelites are taking a win-at-all-cost philosophy. And at some point, someone's going to pay for it. Because sooner or later, your sins will find you out. Someone will pay for this foolish step. Even though victory might come, someone's going to pay down the road. I mean, think about it in collegiate sports. Like, if we could just get that recruit, and we could text him more than we're supposed to text him. If we can, we can get that dude to play basketball for our university, man, we'll win a national championship. Who cares what happens if they find out and we get the death penalty? Who cares if a guy by the name of Samson does something, and then Indiana's stuck with all that? It's a win-at-all-cost philosophy. And so the Israelites are right there. Look at Jephthah's response to them. Look at verse 9. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, As the Lord is our witness. How many times have you heard people say that? The Lord is our witness. Strike me dead. It's a wonder there have been lightning bolts every day in our world. As the Lord is our witness, we will certainly do as you say. So it says that, so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mitzvah. He becomes the leader. And the minute we begin to become sin managers is the moment destruction erodes away at our foundation. He becomes a leader. He brokers a deal with them. Okay, I'll, be your, I'll do it if you make me the leader. So think about this. They're choosing a thug. They're choosing riffraff. They're choosing adventurers. They're choosing those who were doing whatever they want. They're choosing him because he was strong. He was mighty. If someone probably looked at him cross-eyed, he'd just stab him dead. They knew he could fight. And if we can get big man, kill little people, we win. That was kind of their philosophy. And so Jephthah says, hey, if you want me, make me the leader. He brokers a deal with them. Yet partial obedience will come back to haunt you. 
Now begins, seriously, one of the saddest accounts in the Bible of what can happen when we do not serve God with all of our hearts. When one small part is not given over to God and it gets exposed to light, you see it. There's no denying and damage is felt for years to come. You see, Jephthah tries to act it out. Look what happens next in verse 12. He finds out he's going to be the leader, so he does what leaders should do. Verse 12, then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peacefully. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king saying, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the desert to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Now just pause here a second. This is gladiator trying to act in a diplomatic way. This is, it might not mean much to you. This is funny. This is guy that would just mow down people. Now he's sending peace letters with Senate stationery. Hey, could you do this? This is what, instead of doing what he already did, he tried to act in a diplomatic way and it's not going to work for a thug. Look what happens next. Verse 17. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom would not listen. They also sent also to the king of Moab and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Verse 18. Next, they traveled through the desert, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed through the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of Arnon. They did not enter the territory of Moab, for Arnon was his border. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. And he said to them, let us pass through your country to their own place. Sion, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his men and encamped at Jehaz. In other words, he wasn't letting them through. Verse 21, then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his men into Israel's hands, and they defeated him. Partial victory. Israel took over the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing all of them in Arnon to Jabbok from the desert to Jordan. Verse 23, now since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out before the people of Israel, What right do you have to take it over? He says, will you not take your God, Kamash, what he gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord has given us, we will possess. In other words, you take what's yours, we'll take what's ours. Seem like a good diplomatic plan. Verse 25, are you better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? For 300 years, Israel occupied Hezbon the surrounding settlements and all the towns along the Arnon? Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you, Jephthah said, but you are are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide to dispute this day between the Israelites and Ammonites. Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Diplomatic. You take this, I'll take that. But one thing is left out. They never consulted God who would lead their country. They never had him. Look at the king's response, verse 28. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. So Jephthah needs to come up with another plan. Remember, he was picked to lead by the people and not by God. So he needs to come up with a plan. Look what happens next. Look at verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, 
He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzvah and Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a what? Oh, no, don't do that, Jephthah. The Israelites just did it. He's trying to broker a deal with God. Dear God, if you give me this victory, I will never, ever look at pornography again. Dear God, if you do this, I will never, ever gossip again. Dear God, if you do this, I will go to Timbuktu and take my whole family there. Dear God, I'll give $29 million to Grace Community Church. He's making a deal with God in verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt what? Oh, I want to stop here. And I did this week. It's like, Jephthah. Don't go after a short-term victory with a long-term destruction. Jephthah, do you realize what you're saying? If God gives you victory, the first thing that comes out of your house isn't going to be a camel or a dog or a goose. It's going to be a human being. Jephthah, don't let your pride step in. And I really believe that was the unchecked area in his life. That area that he was almost there. But it wasn't all. It was just most. That area that this decision would impact not only him, but cause damage to someone else. So he says, God, give me the victory. And in celebration, whatever comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice them. I'll do whatever it takes, God, to get the win today. Listen to me, Gracie's, today. A short term, do whatever it takes to win in the moment without consideration for the consequences, can turn badly quickly. There's a simple principle in finances that my wife and I use. We have a lot of simple, wise financial decisions that we make. And it goes like this. A long-term loan for a short-term investment is not wise. It's like when you buy a house. Well, let's put the lawnmower on there. Let's pay for this lawnmower for the next 30 years. Listen to me. That's stupid. It's not wise. Or I'll add this to this long term because I need it. No. By the time you get to the end of the loan, that short term thing will be broken down and you'll be buying something else. And it's the same here. This short term win that has long term effects and consequences is not good. And he says, give me the victory and I will sacrifice whatever comes out the door. One man does what seems right in his own mind, trying to get a win. Yet, an innocent partner will soon be impacted by this horrible decision. Look at verse 32. Look what happens after this. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands, gave them the victory, He devastated 20 towns. I mean, it was a substantial victory. In verse 34, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzvah, who should come out to meet him but his what? Who should come out to meet him but his what? Daughter. And she was what? Dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was an only child. 
except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. Now, that rash decision said, whatever comes out the door. He knew he had one child. He knew that anything came out that door was most likely his family. Now just picture, he's won a substantial victory. God gave him over. God provided for that area of his life. Yet he had made a vow to God, a promise to God. God, you give me this victory, I'll, I'll, I'll give 29 million to the church. God, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out the door. His pride got the best of him, so he'd get the accolades of man. Now picture this only child, this daughter. Imagine your daughter, dad's running out the door. She's celebrating. You just became the CEO of the company. You, you just became the president of this organization. You just got your dream job. You just got this thing that, that you've been praying about and asking for victory. And she's excited. Daddy, I'm so... And she runs out to meet him. And then all of a sudden, he reminds himself, Oh, no, I made this bartering deal with my God in a moment of wanting quick victory. Was it worth it to get the win? Is it worth getting a short-term victory in almost 99% of our lives and our decisions? Yet that one area can destroy us. Maybe it's because I got a daughter, and some of you have daughters. I cannot imagine just watching Hannah run out the door and say, Daddy, I'm proud of you. And you got to look your daughter in the eyes and say, Oh, look at her response. Look what happens next here. When he saw her, verse 35, he tore his clothes and cried. Oh, exclamation point. My daughter, exclamation point. You have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Many scholars debate over what happened next. I believe what happened was literal. I look at the text literal here. I believe he had to sacrifice his daughter. So look at her response in verse 36. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But daddy, just grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. And then he says this, you may go, honey. He let her go for two months. She and her girlfriends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gilead. Some people try to dance around, and I'm okay. You come up. One percent of a life that's 99% good or making good decisions, the one percent that's almost can destroy the other 99%. Look what happens to Jephthah. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Jephthah led Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gilead died. 
and was buried in the town in Gilead. I don't know what happened and why he died, but I wonder if he died of a broken heart. What secret compartment are you managing that if left unchecked and finally gets exposed one day will wreak havoc on you, your family, your community, and Jesus' name? What area are you mostly in? Just, just about, God, I have most of my life. What area of your life are you almost all in? It's either all or it's most. This is obedience, this is disobedience, and this is disobedience. I want you to do something in closing today. I'm just going to ask you to shut your Bibles and turn off your smartphones, and I'm going to ask you just to contemplate on a few questions. Just quietly where you're seated today, just reflect on this. Where are you compromising your faith to get what you want? Oh God, if I could have that job. Oh, I always wanted to get married and have kids. So I'll, oh, I need this job, so I'll fudge a little bit here. Oh, I just have to feed this this lust in my life and no one knows about it. What area in your life, if it was brought to light, would destroy your testimony? What are you doing right now that seems right to you? Right in your own eyes. What secret compartment are you managing that if left unchecked will implode on you and destroy all the months, all the years of your testimony for Jesus Christ? What area isn't completely covered by God? And when left unchecked and exposed to light, it will wreak havoc and destruction on you and everyone else. You see, Grace, it's not almost, God, almost there. It's either all or most. God, this is hard stuff. This requires just brutal honesty. This requires us to go to some portions of our heart that maybe we've hidden and no one knows about. And we've become pretty good sin managers. And in the dark, no one sees it. But God, you tell us that our sins will find us out. I pray, Jesus, for confession, repentance, and forgiveness. I pray, Jesus, that we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind, or these short-term victories will end in destruction. Holy Spirit, do what you're good at. 
inspect, convict, and challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.